Well, we continue looking at my beloved, my friend, this series in, on marriage. I wonder if I have time to tell this story, but I think it's just too good not to. So this past week, I got to go to Honduras with Compassion International. Had a wonderful time with that ministry and being there. Got to meet one of the children that my family sponsors, little Heisey. So I got to meet her, which was tons of fun. But also, I got to be there for a week with one of the men who mentored me way back when, when I went to the University of North Texas in 1991. He was the college director at Denton Bible Church. His name was James Skinner. We just called him Skin. And uh, he was a great friend throughout college. And then when I began seminary, I moved in with uh, Skin and Kelly and lived with them for a while. I interned under Skin as the young singles intern at Denton Bible and then became the young singles pastor and all of that. Skin eventually left Denton Bible Church and went and helped Todd Wagner, who was and is his best friend, to plant Watermark Community Church up in Dallas. And Skin told a story this week that I just thought was hilarious, may or may not apply to what we're talking about this morning. One night, Skin and his wife Kelly, Todd and his wife, were at Papado's up in Dallas. And they're eating dinner, and Todd sees a couple across the way. A guy's in a red shirt, and the gal who's with him. And he says, hey, Skin, I'll buy dessert tonight. If you'll go over to that couple, you see him over there? Skin says, yeah. That guy in the red shirt, I've known him for quite some time. Funny story about him is back when he had just become a Christian and really wasn't sure, you know, how to live the Christian life and how to do kind of the Christian dating thing. He took this girl out on a date, and, uh, and during the date, he really wasn't sure what to talk about. And so in one of his classes, they had been talking about euthanasia. And so, and so he just, you know, what do I talk about? And so he says to the girl that he's dating, hey, what do you think about euthanasia? And the girl, a little bit confused, looked back at him and said, well, you know, I really don't know any euthanasia. And Todd said, and the girl that he's, uh, he's with over at the table, she's really sweet. She's in, our, she's in my evangelism explosion class. And some of you know evangelism explosion teaches you how to share the gospel and actually sends you out to share the gospel. And you, you ask these two diagnostic questions of someone that you're talking with. Um, hey, if you were to die tonight, where do you think you would go? And if you were to die tonight, stand before God, and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Those are the diagnostic questions, kind of trying to diagnose where they are spiritually. So Todd says to Skin, hey, listen, if you'll go over there and sit down and just ask this couple, hey, what do y'all think about euthanasia? And then lead into the diagnostic questions, I'll buy dessert. And if you know Skin, Skin's like, sure, you bet. And so Skin wanders over there, sits down by this guy in a red shirt, and uh, this lady that's sitting there with him and says, y'all mind if I sit down? Y'all got no skin. Y'all mind if I sit down? And they're kind of like, no, fine. And they were eating some calamari. And so Skin just reaches out and starts eating their food. And uh, Skin says, y'all mind if I ask y'all a question? No, go ahead. Uh, what do y'all think about euthanasia? And he's eating their calamari as they're doing it, as he's asking them. And they're kind of looking at him real funny, and, and they're like, 
what? He's like, what do y'all think about euthanasia? And the gal speaks up. She goes, well, you know, I, I, that's a really difficult deal. I mean, it's a, boy, just one of those ethical things that's really, really tough. So Ken says, all right. And he thinks it's a little bit weird. And so he starts looking back over at Todd and his wife and Kelly, and they're over there just dying laughing. And Skin turns back. He says, all right, can I ask you all another question? They're like, sure. If y'all were to die tonight and stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And the guy looks at Skin and says, man, that's a really personal question, don't you think? And Skin says, well, of course it's personal, but hey, listen, your faith may be personal, but it's not private. You need to be able to talk about it. So Skin's just pushing him, thinking, and yet he's not getting any feedback from these two. And he looks back again at Todd and Kelly, and they are slamming the table laughing so hard. Finally, Todd gets up, comes and walks right by Skin and sits down at the table right behind him. Skin turns and looks, and he's sitting right by a guy in a red shirt. Skin had gotten up and gone across the room and sat down at the wrong table. <laughs> Todd let him simmer there for a bit, but Todd was gracious. Got up, sat down with that couple, and explained the whole thing. And eventually, if you get to know Todd Wagner as well, he, he began to share the gospel with those two. He said, hey, listen, here's what I put him up to. And in fact, here's the questions that he was asking you. And I'd love to know your answers. And so he got to share the gospel with these two. Skin told that story and he said, you know, sometimes we feel like we are so right. And yet we couldn't be more wrong. Skin thought he was so right in sitting where he was sitting and in having the conversation that he was having. But in fact, he was so very, very wrong. Not sure it fits our sermon, but it is a good story. But maybe a little bit. This morning we're talking about conflict. And if we were going to put a, fight, a title on it, we might say, we fight too. And sometimes we husbands can think we're so right and yet be so wrong. We can flip it too. Sometimes you wives can think you're so right. It might be a little bit wrong. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Conflict is simply inevitable since the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And in fact, it's, it's one of the consequences of the fall. If you're familiar with this story in chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, the serpent comes and deceives Adam and Eve into disobeying God, and they do. And God came to Adam and Eve who were hiding and confronted them, and they began to play the blame game. In verse 12, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. God, it's not my fault. It's the woman's fault. In fact, it's your fault. The woman whom you gave me. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. It's not my fault. It's the serpent's fault. 
The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. We talked about this last week, but again, there's the very first promise of a descendant of the woman who would eventually come to crush the serpent's head. Of course, that will be Jesus, the Messiah. In verse 16, to the woman, he said, as a result of this sin and rebellion, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. That word desire is used in chapter 4, verse 7 in the story of Cain and Abel. When Cain grows angry at his brother Abel, and in verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do not do well, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. But you must master it. In context, it seems to be back in chapter 3, verse 16. That as a result of the fall, a wife, her desire, it's a negative word in this context, will be for her husband. It has been classically interpreted as that she will try to manipulate and to control her husband. Just as sin is trying to manipulate and control Cain, the wife whom God created to be the loving helper of her husband, she will, she'll desire, she'll seek to manipulate into control. He will rule over you, classically interpreted. He will take advantage of his place as head, as servant leader, and he will seek to dominate and control. So this beautiful picture of Genesis chapter 2, of the husband who is the head and servant leader, and the wife who is the helper and the servant lover, you now have one who will seek to dominate and to control, and another who will seek to manipulate and to control. It's right there from the very beginning. There will be pain in childbirth and there will be conflict in marriage. We think about this, I think all of us could say, amen. Been there, done that. Most of you know, Tara and I, we, and our family, we lived in a home here in Katy for 11 years, and we just sold that home and moved over into old Katy. And uh, selling a home and buying a home, you know, that, that's just rife for conflict. But we did pretty good, except for the last night before 
uh, I think it was before we were really going on the market with our home that we were, were trying to sell. Everything, our house looked beautiful, but Tara had this crazy idea that what we really needed to sell this home was handles on the master bathroom cabinets. And she had bought them and had them laying there for a few days. And uh, she intended to get to them, but I thought, you know what? I'll be a servant leader. I'll put those things on. And so I began to put them on, and the very first one I put on, I put on crooked. I know it was crooked, but I didn't want to admit it. And I'm serving my wife, and I'm putting these things on, and it went on crooked, and I'm thinking, yeah, but we're going to be out of this house in a couple weeks. I don't care if it's crooked. And Tara came behind me, and she said, ooh, that first one looks a little crooked. No, it doesn't. <laughs> we had made it all the way until the very end, the, the handles that needed to go on the master bathroom cabinets. And we had a good fight over master bathroom cabinet handles. Oh, where does conflict come from? In James chapter 4, Talking not so much about conflict in marriage, though it applies, it's conflict between any and everybody. What's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You desire and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Conflict comes when you and I don't get what we want. Our desires are not fulfilled. It may be some rights, some rights that have been violated. Maybe as a wife, your sense of I have a right when he comes home from work to be listened to. Or maybe guys, when you come home, you're thinking I have a right when I get home to just kind of go flop on the couch and turn on the evening news and she's wanting to be listened to and you're wanting to rest. Those rights get violated. Maybe we think that we have a right for how my Saturday is going to go and just as quickly as that Saturday plan that I have in my head gets flipped just a little bit. I have a right I have an expectation of how my day is going to go and yet she might have a different plan for how my day is going to go and my rights or my expectations are unfulfilled. And eh. We hurt each other with a look or a word or blowing each other off. And those unfulfilled desires can result in Anger that we got to be really careful of, right? The Apostle Paul tells us to be angry and yet do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's right when we have maybe been violated or offended for a righteous indignation to well up within us, but we got to be careful with that. Because if we, if we don't check that anger, 
as James would say, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The anger of man doesn't lead to the kind of things that are pleasing to God. If we don't check our anger, if we don't be careful with it, it can turn into something volatile, something loud, something mean-spirited, something not helpful. And all of us are susceptible to anger when our, me- our needs or our rights or our expectations are not met. All of us have things that can push our buttons. Maybe it's last minute changes or feeling neglected or feeling disrespected or maybe it's stress in the workplace that you bring home, hurtful words, a stubborn person, unmet desires. All of that leading to fighting and quarreling. Conflict between a husband and a wife. We all struggle with this. It's legit for every single marriage. It's, we're told from the very earliest chapters of the Bible that it's gonna happen and we're going to have to manage it. And so for conflict to be resolved over and over and over again, both the husband and the wife must be committed to oneness. Babe, you and I are one. And we're committed to preserving that oneness. And so when we push each other's buttons, when we conflict, when we fight, we do that in the context of a pursuit of oneness. I, Mitch, take you, Tara, to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse. When things are going good and when things are not going so good, when we're just having the time of our life, when we're button heads over this, that, or the other. Oneness. I'm probably going to come back to this, but I'm going to read it anyway right now. This is from Ephesians chapter 4. You don't have to turn there, but, but just listen. And, and listen in light of marriage and in in marital conflict. And think to yourself, is this the spirit of our marriage and the conflict that we might experience? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, Forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Husbands, are you that way towards your wife? Especially when conflict arises. Wives, are you that way towards your husband? Especially when conflict arises. Putting bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander away, along with all malice, 
and being kind and tenderhearted, forgiving, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Boy, there's the, there's the gospel-centeredness of this. There's the gospel-rootedness of this. That you and I are to be kind towards others because God has been kind towards us. Patient towards others because God in Christ has been patient towards us. Forgiving towards our spouse and towards others because God in Christ has been forgiving towards us. So, as I told you from the beginning, I've been stealing a lot from Family Life's wonderful ministry on of marriage. I want to share with you a few things they give us, kind of a path towards fighting fair. Resolving conflict requires loving confrontation. Now, sometimes I realize that in marriage, things just pop up, and there's no sense of, uh, of waiting around and pondering, you know what, you know, okay, I'm going to go and confront Tara about this and thinking it through. And I'm going to give you some things that kind of, they, they seem to uh, apply towards a period of time that you could kind of think things through. And, and sometimes things just erupt on us. And so give me some grace here. But here we go. Before you confront, examine the offense. Determine if the offense requires confrontation. That's a good one. And those of you who've been married a long time have probably learned it. Maybe you haven't. But a question we probably need to ask is, is it worth it? Is this a hill to die on? Am I making a mountain out of the proverbial molehill here? Is it just a difference between my spouse and me that I need to just let go? Or is this something that I really need to confront them on and seek to pursue peace on? Proverbs 19.11 says this, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is a person's glory to overlook an offense. Yesterday we had a men's Oh, man, it's already 1122. Unbelievable. Yesterday, we had a men's breakfast and had four men up there sharing some wisdom. And Hank was sharing just with us younger guys, just saying, hey, listen, there's some things that are really important and there's some things that aren't. And you're going to have to discern between the two. But the things that aren't, just let them go. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is a person's glory to overlook an offense. You know, you think about your kids. You're sitting at the table, and they're just being kids, and they knock over a, a, a cup, and it spills. And you really have two choices there, don't you? Maybe more, but generally two. Number one is to get hopping mad over that. What are you doing? Spilling your cup all over the place. Or to what? Oops. Whoops. I've done that before. Hold on. I got it. And get a rag and clean it up. One of those looks at that as an offense and gets mad. Another one says, been there, done that. Knocked one over myself last week. And just overlook it. 
I remember last year when we were setting up our Christmas tree and the girls are helping us put ornaments on the deal and Maddie took an ornament, goes up on the little ladder, drops it. What do you do? Maddie, be careful. These are expensive. What are you doing dropping one of these things? Praise God, neither Tara nor I did that. Oops. Oh, everybody, don't move. I'll go get the broom. We'll clean it up. It's all right. I've dropped them a thousand times myself. Get it cleaned up. Hey, Maddie, here, can you hang this one, sugar? Same thing with our spouse. They can do a little something, and you can get all mad about it if you want to. Or you can just say, been there, done that. It's all right. Now, sometimes our spouses, we do things that require confrontation. And so when we do, we might want to consider the contribution that we've made to that conflict. What role did I play? What pattern or habit of mine contributed to it? And examine our heart. This is good. Are you looking to retaliate? or to restore, to punish, or to pursue peace. He hurt me, I'm hurting back. She hurt me, I'm hurting back. She hurt me, we're going to have a good talk about this one. And I'm going to put her in her place. That ain't. mm. Your spouse is not your enemy. No, 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 no. We want to restore. We want to pursue peace. The conflict has created isolation. And we are pursuing oneness together. Tender merger. Body, soul, and spirit. For better, for worse, richer, for poorer, sickness and health, to love, honor, and cherish, forsaking all others, to keep you only to myself so long as we both shall live. That's what we're after. And so we want to determine if the, if the offense even requires confrontation. If it does, consider our own contribution to that conflict. It'll keep us humble and examine our heart. What are we, what are we trying to do here? And when we do... We want to lovingly confront, to be kind even as we conflict. Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love. Paul would say to us in all of our relationships, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is as good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Think about you. Think about your conflicting with your spouse and fighting with your spouse. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. No name calling. No malice. No slander. No mean-spiritedness. No unwholesome word. 
but only such a word is as good for edification according to the need of the moment. So speak the truth in love. Approach the confrontation carefully. Make sure your timing is right. I love this proverb, 27:14. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be reckoned a curse to him. Did you catch that? He who blesses his friend, that's a good thing. With a loud voice early in the morning. The right word in the wrong way at the wrong time. It'll be counted a curse to him. So as you're thinking about talking with your spouse about some way that they have hurt you, make sure that the timing is right. And make sure that your focus is right. Try to focus on one issue, not many issues. Focus on the problem, not the person. The behavior, not the character. The specifics, not generalizations. Focus on understanding, not on who's winning or losing. We are not trying to hurt our spouse. We are not trying to destroy our relationship or create growing isolation. That's not what we're up to, I sure hope. Choose your words carefully. Confront with humility, and again, speak the truth in love. I like this Proverbs as well. Proverbs 25, 11, like apples of gold in settings of silver, so is a right word spoken in right circumstances. Apples of gold, in settings of silver. How beautiful is that? So is a right word in the right circumstances. How do I want to say this to my wife? How do I want to say this to my husband? In a truthful way, but in a humble way, in a loving way. Again, the goal is to restore oneness. And when we do this, if we've determined to confront and if we've done our best to lovingly confront, we need to be ready to forgive. Again, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. If you decide to talk about the issue and you lovingly confront And, and, and the smoke begins. <laughs> and sometimes it takes three minutes, right? Sometimes it may take three hours. Sadly, some drag on for three months, three years. Oh, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let a week go down. Don't let three years go down on your anger. But you confront and you talk it out and, uh, and you... Uh, And then the offending party, I'm, yeah. The Bible teaches that all Christians are responsible to God to seek forgiveness when we've hurt someone and to grant forgiveness when someone has hurt you. So when your spouse comes to that place in the midst of the fight in the midst of the conflict. 
of admitting wrong and seeking forgiveness, we need to be ready to give it. And so whether it's a husband or a, or a wife, when we come to that place, when we realize that we've done wrong, we need to be willing to accept responsibility for that, not to blame the spouse that God gave us, right? It was the woman whom you gave me. It was the serpent, not to blame the kids, not to blame our boss, not to blame the, anything or anyone, but when we realize that we have offended we need to take responsibility for that and humbly seek forgiveness. Be willing to say that you were wrong. I was wrong. I shouldn't have. Be willing to say you're sorry. I couldn't help but think of the Fonz from Happy Days. Some of y'all will remember that. He couldn't say what? I'm s- <laughs> He couldn't say I'm sorry. Let's not be that. I was wrong. I'm sorry that I did that and I caused you to feel that. And be willing to repent. I know that I've hurt you. I don't want to do that again. And be willing to ask for forgiveness. Would you forgive me? And then the offended spouse needs to grant that forgiveness, assuming that it's a sincere Apology. It's a choice to set your spouse free from the debt of their offense. It's an attitude of letting go of resentment and of a vengeful spirit. And it might look something like this. To do it privately first, God, I forgive him for hurting me. And then do it specifically. I forgive you for... Spell it out. Do it generously. Hey, let's settle this issue and get on with building our relationship. And do it graciously. Hey, I know I've done stuff like that myself. There's a tenderness and a kindness and a graciousness that, yeah, you know, it's like, right? But even in the midst of all that tender, kind, gracious commitment just overwhelms the whole thing so that when we get a chance to breathe, a marriage is marked by love and patience and kindness and tenderness and mercy, and forgiveness. Because those are the kinds of things that God has showered upon us through his son, Jesus Christ. How often have we offended him? And how powerful is his grace and mercy and tenderness towards us? Briefly show you one more text and then we're going to sing and be done. If you want to, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Way over, almost to the end of your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 3. He 
he comes to, in verse 8, um, to sum up, he says. And he's been talking about different relationships that Christians have with each other, in marriage, in, uh, to, the, to, to the governing state, and the like. And to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You know what? In the midst of marriage, we can choose to bless our spouse. Even when they hurt us, we can choose to have an, an otherworldly kind of response, a response that Jesus had when he was being insulted, when he was being reviled. He didn't return insult for insult. He didn't revile back. He kept entrusting himself to God and even prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. You and I can be a real blessing to our spouse if we'll have that kind of attitude, harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble, if we'll choose to respond kindly even when we are offended. Ooh, babe, when you said that, that hurt. Can we talk about that? Rather than escalating it and making it bigger than it needs to be, we can focus on God, the promises of his word, be an example of Christ. So brothers and sisters, y'all are going to fight. Tara and I are going to fight. We're going to conflict. We're all going to conflict. Let's fight the loving commitment to our spouse. Let's be as hard as it can be, kind, gracious, patient, tender-hearted. Let no unwholesome word proceed from our mouth. Let's be humble. Where we need to, let's, let's accept responsibility. Let's, let's ask be repentant and ask for forgiveness and let's grant forgiveness and get on with building our relationship. And friends, if you're in a marriage right now that just sometimes the smallest of things just blows up like this, 
and your marriage is moving more like this than it is like this, I know you don't want to, but would you please call me? And let's visit about that. I want to help. Our staff wants to help. Our elders want to help. There are bunches of men and women in this church family who would love to help. Call me. And we'll do all that we can to help you move towards oneness. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for your kindness and tenderness towards us. Thank you that you so loved us that you sent your son Christ, the Lord Jesus, to live for us, to die for us, to rise for us, to be our Savior. Thank you for your kindness and patience towards us. And oh Lord, might it mark our marriages. Love and patience and kindness and tenderness, even in those periods when it Oh, can be so hard. Lord, help us to, um, to keep taking one step forward together as husband and wife. We need your power. We need your strength. We need your help. So, Lord, keep us looking to you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And help our marriages be a, a wonderful reflection of Christ and his church. And we will pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.